Welcome to Masters of Growth, an insightful podcast with some of India's most interesting minds and their ideologies. Here, they will share their experiences on their road to glory, along with any speed bumps that they may have encountered in the way. Today with us we have Durga Shakti Nagpal. Durga Shakti Nagpal is a brave art IAS officer who has not only been on tours for serving the country whenever and however needed, she is also seen as an inspiration to the women of our nation. She completed her education in computer engineering from Indira Gandhi Delhi Technical University in 2007 and she also achieved an all India rank of 20 in the UPSC exam. She came into the public view after launching a massive drive against corruption and illegal sand mining within her jurisdiction of Gautam Buddh Nagar. It is a pleasure to have you with us Ms. Nagpal. Yeah. Okay. So could you just tell us what inspired you like where did your story I think you know I am inspired every day Shan. Uh every moment of my life is an inspiration. You know as a child I I always wanted to be a civil servant. I saw my father he's a bureaucrat and the way you know he used to work he used to take me to his office on his inspection trips on his official trips and I used to keep observing him the kind of difference that he could make so easily so effortlessly you know to the lives of the common people whether it was uh, extending basic facilities like education health you know nutrition sanitation or anything that they were deprived of so to start with you know watching my father inspired me and then as i grew as i started preparing for the civil services i was inspired more than anything else to prepare to study that whole phase was very enjoyable because i was learning so many new things every day i was reading new stuff and uh, about different different you know uh, aspects of human life social life yeah and then when i got into the services i was so excited to you know do something good uh, it's been uh, an a very inspirational journey throughout in fact every day that i wake up in the morning I feel that you know I want to do so much in life. I literally jump out of bed, and uh, even before sleeping, I start making my mental notes that this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. Right. My brain and my mind is always, you know, calculating as to what all I want to do in life. I think that drive to uh, keep making some meaningful contribution or the other to the society, to people. uh to my family to myself you know some valuable right. constructive contribution that is what keeps uh, me going keeps me inspired and motivated all the time and so i mean you also answered pretty much the next question i was going to ask you which was what motivates you on a daily okay. basis but you say this okay. that means you have a growth mindset if i'm not wrong yes definitely Could you just elaborate depending on that See, I think for a growth mindset, the most fundamental thing that one needs to have is conviction right. uh, about what you are doing in life. Not just what you want to do, but your present moment. If you are convinced about your present, that yes, you what you are doing is right. If you are passionate about it, then everything falls in place. I mean, uh, it's not you know. as if you have to make any external effort to do that particular task 
it comes automatically from within so even though we may perceive the word growth as something external but it becomes totally intrinsic to you know your personality to your life in general because you're so convinced about what you are doing you are uh, living on your passion trying to uh, implement or bring out things that you are passionate about mm-hmm. so i think for me it's very much to do from within whatever i'm doing if i'm convinced about it then it uh, comes out very naturally and that's what you know basically contributes to that growth kind of mindset right exactly that you don't need people to uh, keep pulling you that you know you have to perform in a certain way most of the things are happening from within and when you you know when you live in that kind of a situation the level of satisfaction that you draw whether it's personal or professional it's tremendous that satisfaction and internal happiness is uh, so immense that that is what keeps you growing in life that's what keeps you know imparting a growth mindset to you right exactly even in a ted talk once you did say that you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger yeah so could you just yes, elaborate yes. on how important it is to get back on your feet once you're on the ground and any instance in your life where you've wanting to give up but you didn't so ishan uh, you know it really amazes me to see little kids that you know when little children are born they are born fearless right uh, there is no concept of fear in their mind <laughs> that's quite you know, i have a little to look yeah. at it yeah <laughs> yeah so i have a little daughter now of course she is 6 years old but when she was born i could relate to this concept of being fearless uh with her so much more so you know if you have a you just imagine a little toddler sitting on the floor playing around and if let's say a dog or a cat or a lizard or you know a very not so happy looking animal passes by the little child starts laughing right. and starts getting amused that oh wow what a funny creature Yeah. and on the contrary if uh, you know it would be an adult then that person would go either into defense or offense mode you know either try to go away from the situation to you know uh, save uh, yourself if you you know you automatic reaction is that we feel threatened by the presence of an uninvited you know creature more so if it's not a very happy looking one right. or the other reaction would be you know if it's a cockroach or an ant you would pick up your shoe or slipper and you would want to you know hit it so that it would just stay where it is or you know doesn't threaten you that doesn't come closer to you but with little children that doesn't happen not because they don't have the maneuvering capability they have the capability to to you know throw out throw around the heaviest yeah. of things when they can break plates and you know uh, break the most precious of things at home they can definitely handle these creatures and protect themselves but they don't do so that's because you know they don't feel threatened they don't feel scared and why they don't feel scared is because they are not attuned to the concept of fear they don't know what fear means right exactly. uh, they are just born and they know only very basic things in life that is you know they feel hungry so maybe they can just cry and ask for food or they want their mother or father they can just cry and you know say mama mama papa papa that concept of fear is not instilled in their mind at such a young age but as they grow 
the society, the way we live, the way we talk, we think, perceive things, you know, a, a tendency of being cautious, of being careful, of being fearful gets ingrained in our minds. Right. And that's how we learn to be, you know, uh, careful in terms of our own actions. But I feel that, you know, and then this, this feeling of um, fearfulness also has different kind of dimensions. As you grow, you, you, you become apprehensive, you become fearful of whether uh, we'll be able to make it to college or not. And of course, if we are able to make it to college, will we get a good job or not? And if we are able to get a good job, will we get a good married life or not? <laughs> yeah, the struggles so, you know, of that, life that, continue. That, the struggles of life. So that fear gets into its ultimate spiraling mode. And uh, when one fear ends, the second one starts. Yeah, so it's I mean, like, you know, it's like a platform of a railway station that either you don't get down or you get down only to get onto the train to get down at the next yeah. platform. <laughs> it's the fear which keeps you pushing yourself towards the end. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, when I said in my one of my talks that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger was basically this, that... No matter how overpowering a situation may be, how uh, difficult the challenges may be, if you decide that you will not get scared, you will not get bogged down in life, then you are set to emerge higher and higher. Right. Like you said, particularly about yourself too, that you are a challenger and a visionary. Right. So I think it's all about being that. That if you, you know, the situation may per, may think that it is challenging you. But if you do it reverse, if you challenge the situation, you are set to emerge as a visionary. Because visionary is all about, you know, foreseeing things beforehand, finding out possible solutions, and then acting on them. Exactly, right. So when we say, yes, so when we say that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, that's exactly what I... Uh, want to explain that one needs to hold on to one's commitment, to one's conviction, to one's passion, no matter how difficult the situation may be. And even though the situation may want to kill you, but you will only end up coming out much strong, stronger. Right. And I mean, could you also just give us an understanding of how you cracked down on the illegal mining and how exactly it is that you came out victorious? So I was just a new entrant into the service. I had completed only about six months. This was my first year of getting into the service post-completion right. of my training period. And uh, I was posted in Noida as the SDM, which is the first posting that an IS officer gets after coming into service. And this area, uh, you know, Noida is particularly notorious for uh, illegal uh, dredging of sand. Right. And this happens in the middle of the night, uh, you know, post 2 a.m. and goes on till early hours of the morning. And when you wake up, to, when the city wakes up, there is, you know, uh, hardly any movement of vehicles. So whatever happens, happens in the middle of the night. And because the topography of the area is such, the Yamuna River flows by, there is plenty of sand easily available, which can be excavated. 
and these illegal sand miners you know they are very well equipped they have the best of uh, high end vehicles they have the jcbs and very very sophisticated equipments and machinery which is required for digging of the sand and for the transportation so when i joined this place which is my first posting i decided to you know do something about it i thought that you know if this activity illegal activity is not stopped then there are so many ramifications that will become impossible to handle so first of all there was degradation to the environment because it was a flood plain area we were making the whole area more prone to having floods and the houses the settlements that were closer to these areas to the river banks were at a much higher risk of getting flooded so that was the environmental aspect the second more worrying aspect was the loss to the treasury the government treasury so for any uh, quantity of sand that is dredged the miner has to pay a certain amount to the government because okay. you know sand is a natural resource yes so anything that is being excavated you have to pay a royalty okay but yes, because sir. this was being done totally illegally the treasury was at a huge loss okay how so how did you manage to find was, that like how did you manage to find the fact that the treasury was at a loss so basically there are uh, one cannot just you know a mine sand on their own this is auctioned the area because it's all public land right, right. so the government auctions certain parts of land to the miners and whatever mining is done within that area a royalty is imposed on the quantity that is mined so it's it's a complete uh, you know transparent process of auctioning that area for a certain time period and the quantity that is being mined on a daily or a weekly basis that a, a track of it is kept so that one can get the royalty and of course when the whole area is auctioned you have to put in a bidding amount so the payment comes before the mining actually happens right. but this is you know how it ideally should be what happens is that this auction does happen but the surrounding areas also where mining is prohibited there also the mining begins to happen and that is what comes under the ambit of illegal mining right okay so what i decided to do was that i organized midnight raids i thought that you know it's best to start by going in the middle of the night and seeing how uh, big and bad the situation is right so okay. uh, we organized these raids in the middle of the night we would go out at about 2 o'clock we were all prepared i had my team of police and revenue administration and we would first of all observe what was going on and it was very interesting to see you know like indian weddings There's those shamianas and lights and big celebrations. It was literally the feel of big weddings going on with the best of vehicles. But instead of the gharatis and the varatis, there were these big big JCBs and popular machines <laughs> and lot of dusty sand being flown in and out. A bit of a twist. You no, know, some of it. Yeah. yeah. so that was the first part that's you know we wanted to first observe how intense and bad the situation was and then after that once we got a hold of the situation we planned our seizures our arrests in such a way that with 
uh, you know, systematic uh, planning because, of course, we were limited in terms of our resources, vehicles and people, manpower, everything. So we could plan our operation in such a way that we can catch hold of maximum number of illegal miners and their vehicles in the shortest possible time. Right. So in about two two weeks' time, we were able to, you know, it was a matter of huge, huge pride. And I don't think these numbers have been, uh, you know, replicated after I moved out. In about two weeks' time, we arrested, uh, I think, more than 100 people and registered about 110 FIRs. Oh, wow. And, uh, yes, collected royalty worth 80 crore rupees in just two weeks' time. That's, that's no, quite commendable. Yeah, this was, this was something totally unheard of. But more than these numbers, what I feel, you know, satisfaction about is that the whole area, uh, you know, there was a message sent across that this illegal activity will not be tolerated and uh, people should better be watchful. If they are going to do anything like this, then action is going to be taken against them. And the poor villagers, you know, whose houses were being threatened, their settlements and their properties were being threatened, their agriculture fields were getting threatened because of this illegal activity. You know, they were so happy, those helpless villagers, the satisfaction on their face, the happiness on their face when they came to my office, they came with those little, little boxes of mithai and ghee and homegrown vegetables. You know, that's how it is in villages. Right. They came with flowers and they were so grateful that uh, we have been able to successfully put an end to this 24-hour, literally 24-hour menace, which was constantly bothering them for so many years. Right. And you know, you talk about contributing towards your own country and how people are happy. So like, I'd just like to ask you, what advice do you have for the people of my generation aspiring to become successful in the government while contributing for their own country? Okay. So, uh, Ishan, I feel that, you know, uh, each one of us, irrespective of whether we are working for the government or outside, we all have the capability to contribute. And it's such a wonderful coincidence that it's Independence Day today. And this is what I spoke about this very morning when I went to hoist the flag. Right. That even a little child can contribute. Even a senior citizen can contribute to the country uh, in any way. What's, howsoever small or big it may be. It, it's not necessary that one needs to have the support of a system to be able to contribute. Right. Just the feeling, the feeling of wanting to contribute is more than enough. So let's say that you may not be working with the government, but you may be working elsewhere. So maybe from just, you know, a small portion of your income, monthly income, you know, you could devote it, let's say just 5% or 10%, you could set it aside for people who are in genuine need. Now, we all have witnessed that the way people have come forward during, especially during COVID, so many philanthropic initiatives youngsters like you have taken and they've done it in spite of not having any big resources not having any wherewithal with them but the intention was very much there right. so as long as that feeling and intention of wanting to help the others is there 
uh, it's uh, all that really matters. Even school children can help little children around them, you know, who don't have the chance of going to school. Maybe they could devote an hour to teach them. The senior citizens who are comparatively free could do similar things. Other people, you know, who are a little busier could devote some financial small amount to the needy people. I think right. it's it's about the intention and the focus with which, you know, you drive that intention matters rather than the platform. I mean, of course, yeah. Completely agree with you over there. And i just like to thank you so much for taking out time for the podcast. It really means a lot.